So we have seen so far that Nehemiah and those who are rebuilding the wall were subject to constant attack. First of all, it was by Sanballat, Tobiah, and, uh, and Geshem, the Arab, that they tried to discourage them and put them off doing the work. But now there is an intensifying of their opposition. In verse 8 it says, And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So this was the, the first sort of threat. And a little bit further on, in verse 11 it says, And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So there was a plan not only to discourage them from working, but actually to take away their lives. And the continued and intensified attacks of Sanballat and Tobiah could easily have discouraged the builders. Now remember that they had already asked for God's protection. They had asked for God to deal with the opposition. And their prayer may have seemed to them to have gone unanswered because the opposition was not dealt with. Remember we looked this morning and we saw that the way God answered their prayer was to give them a mind to work, to continue working in spite of the opposition. But in their own minds, they may well have thought, we ask God to deal with this opposition and he hasn't done it. Because God often answers our prayers in ways that we do not expect. So then we come to this opposition, this intensified opposition. Verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. The first thing we look at tonight is the reaction to persecution. They were being persecuted. Obviously, if these people wanted to kill them, then that surely can be classed as persecution. There was both a positive and a negative response to the attacks of the enemy. First of all, the positive reaction they had. They brought the matter to God in prayer. Once again, we see that Nehemiah's first, his first reaction was to bring the matter to God. Although God had not answered Nehemiah's previous prayer in the way that he may have wished and the way that the people may have wished, he gave them a will to work in spite of the opposition and this is an important point. That did not prevent them from seeking God afresh when new danger threatened. 
and perseverance in prayer is a lesson taught consistently in the word of God. I fear that we're not very good at persevering in prayer. We live in an instant age. Everything has to be delivered now. And if it's not, if it doesn't come to us now, then we give up. We're so used to going onto the computer and getting instant answers to whatever we ask. But prayer is not like that. The Lord Jesus Christ constantly taught his people to go on and go on. And if God doesn't, doesn't appear to answer our prayer in the way that we, we wish he would, that should not prevent us continually to ask God. Perseverance in prayer is a necessary truth. But we notice here that not only did they bring the matter to God in prayer, which was their first reaction, they sought for God's help and protection, but they also took practical measures to defend themselves. Now, this did not demonstrate a lack of faith and trust in God. It was simply a recognition that God expects his people to use the minds that he has given to them to make use of the means available to them. For example, we are told to pray for our daily bread, and yet we don't expect that food to drop from the ceiling. We don't expect manna as God provided for the Israelites. We are to pray for our daily bread, but we use the strength and abilities that God has given us to earn the wherewithal to provide food for our family. Now, that does not mean that we do not continue to pray for our daily bread. After all, if God does not provide the sunshine and the rain so that the crops can grow, there will be no food. We are dependent upon God for our daily bread. We're to pray to him for it, but we are to use the strength and the abilities that God has given us. So too in the spiritual warfare. And we have that in Ephesians chapter 6. Christians are commanded to pray. We're to pray for God's grace, God's strength, God's wisdom in the battle against the enemy. But we are also told to arm ourselves for the battle against the principalities and powers, etc., that we have in Ephesians 6 and 10 to 17. We are to pray for God's protection. We are to pray for God's strength. We are to pray for God's wisdom. But we are to take up the shield of faith. We are to use 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We are to use those things that God has given us. And if we don't, <clears throat> we can't expect that God will, uh, will give us the protection and the help and the sustenance that we pray for. We are to pray and we are to work. So they brought the matter to God in prayer. They took practical measures and they were determined not to be taken by surprise by the enemy. So they maintained their guard day and night. And this demonstrated their commitment to finish the work no matter what. And it sent a message to their enemies that they would be ready to repulse any attack. There's another word that we see constantly in the scripture, and it's watchfulness. Did the Lord Jesus Christ not say to his disciples, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation? In Luke chapter 22 and verse 46. We are to watch and to pray that you do not fall into temptation. Every one of us have areas in our own lives where we are subject to temptation. There are things and areas that you would be in which you would be prone to fall into temptation. Things that perhaps don't attract me at all. But there may be areas in my life where I would be liable to be tempted and to fall that perhaps would not have any attraction for you whatsoever. But remember this. The devil knows where we are strong. And more importantly, the devil knows where we are weak. And that's what Nehemiah did. We read in that passage, he strengthened the places where the enemy could get in. And we need to do that in our own personal lives. We need to strengthen the areas where the devil may gain a foothold. So the positive reaction to this persecution was prayer, action, and watchfulness. But there was not only a positive reaction, there was a negative reaction. It appears as though the pressure coming from the enemy was beginning to have some effect. One of the things that the opponents wanted to do was to discourage the builders and cause them to stop the work. And it seems that some of the people were becoming discouraged. Verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
it is interesting to note that the discouraging words came from the tribe considered to be the strongest. Now you know there were the 12 tribes of Israel and you know that in the Old Testament there was a division of the kingdom between Israel and Judah, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. The tribe of the kings and the tribe from which would come the Messiah, Judah. And it was from Judah that these discouraging words came to Nehemiah. And their discouragement was based on a number of factors. And as we look at these factors, I want you to think about that in a spiritual context. The failing strength of the workers was the first thing. These people had been working hard and they had accomplished much. Remember, the wall had been built to half its height, so they'd done a tremendous amount of work. But there was still a great deal left to be done. And they wondered if they had the strength and the ability to be able to complete it. They were tired. They had worked consistently. They had worked hard. And they were weary. And they didn't know if they had the strength to complete it. But not only was there the failing strength of the workers, there was a great deal of rubbish to be cleared away. Imagine... These walls have been lying in ruins for almost 100 years. There was a tremendous amount of rubble and detritus that needed to be cleared away. The walls had been destroyed. The rubble had been building up for around 100 years. And before the rebuilding could be done, this rubbish had to be cleared away. Now, any of you who've had to clear away rubbish from a a knock-down building, we know how arduous that kind of work can be. And these walls were huge. So there was the failing strength of the workers that discouraged them. There was all this rubbish that needed to be cleared away. And they were not able, they thought, to rebuild Perhaps they felt that there were not enough of them to clear away all the rubbish and rebuild the walls, as well as defend these people that were coming to attack them. And the task just seemed too big. It's a natural reaction, isn't it? Try and put yourself in their position. They started off with a great deal of enthusiasm. It seemed that everybody was on side, Everybody was putting their shoulder to the wheel. Everybody was seeking to get this work done. And then you got Sanballat and Tobiah coming and saying these things to them to discourage them. And they worked and worked and worked, and yet there was still so much more to do. You can imagine them saying, we can't do this. This is too big for us. And this is a very good picture 
of how discouragement can come in the work of the gospel. We very often think that our strength, our wisdom, our ability is insufficient to complete the task before us. We can often begin well, but become discouraged as the work seems to take so long. We seem to work and work and work and nothing really is accomplished. We must always remember that perseverance in the strength of the Lord is essential. Now the builders, before they began the work of construction or reconstruction, they had to clear away the rubbish. And in our own personal lives and in the work of the church, we need to do the same. We need to clear away the rubbish before we begin to rebuild. What sort of rubbish needs to be cleared away? Old habits, unbiblical practices, unhelpful attitudes, and harmful relationships. All these things need to be cleared away before we can begin the work of reconstruction. We need to look in before we look out. We need to clear away those things that will inhibit and prevent the work. So that was the reaction to persecution. The second thing that we notice in this chapter <coughs> is the raising of the threat level. You remember the people had been subjected to threats. Up to this period, they were just threats. No one had actually come up to attack them. But not only were the builders or some of the builders discouraged because of the enormity of the task and their own lack of resources, they now had to face the prospect of their enemies not just trying to stop the work, but to kill them. I want you to think about that. How would you react? How would you feel? if you heard that there were people who were seeking to try to kill you because you were coming to worship here. We know that some people think we're stupid coming here. We know some people think that it's a waste of time for us to come here and meet as we do. But suppose that threat level was increased so that Somebody came to us and said, you know what, there are people who live over there and they really want to kill you. They really want to do away with you so that this church disappears. I wonder how we would react to that sort of threat. Now, it's uncertain whether or not the enemies knew of the discouragement that some of the builders were experiencing but it is certain that the devil knew all about it. 
and he prompted those wicked men to attack when God's people were at a low ebb. There was a little bit of discouragement. There, was, there were those who were questioning, can we complete this work? Can we do it? And it's at that point that the devil came in with this further threat. And such is the work of the evil one who will attack God's people when they are discouraged, depressed, tired, or self-confident. The devil will always attack us when we're at our lowest ebb. And the plan was to attack secretly at a time when the builders were not on the alert. Nehemiah was wise to their schemes. And Nehemiah set up guards day and night. And the lesson for us here is that spiritual defeat comes upon the child of God when he drops his guard and does not remain watchful for the temptations of the devil. Watch and pray. Nehemiah's enemies had sought to stop the work by mockery and by threats, but they had realized that the commitment of the builders was such that the only way they could be stopped was by killing them. Isn't that amazing? You see, for the builders, this was no half-hearted enterprise, something from which they could be dissuaded very easily. These enemies saw the dedication of the builders and they knew that the only way to stop them was to kill them. I wonder if our enemies looked at us, would they see such a dedication that they would think well, the only way to stop them serving the Lord is to kill them? Or would they think, well, you know, we can discourage them, we can put them off, we can stop them doing what they're doing because they're not really that committed. The enemies here knew that they were they were so committed that the only way to stop them was to get rid of them. And how often has this been seen in the history of the church when persecution has broken out against the people of God? 17th century covenanters were doing nothing more than proclaiming the word of God and denouncing compromise and wickedness as they sought to build the kingdom of God. And yet they were pursued, persecuted and killed in an attempt to stop the work. You see, the authorities in 17th century Scotland, they knew that these covenanters would not stop. They knew that they couldn't simply dissuade and they tried they offered them bribes. They offered them all sorts of recognition. If only they would stop meeting in these conventicles. If only they would stop denouncing the government. If only they would stop 
what they were doing. But they didn't. They stood firm in spite of the persecution that came. Now, unfortunately, this cannot always be said of every child of God. For many, the devil does not have to kill them because discouragement, compromise, money, relationships, frustrations, or trouble is sufficient to stop them serving the Lord. The enemies of God's people believed that their plan to kill these people, to kill the builders, was secret. They said they will not know or see until we come among them. Their plan, however, was known to the Lord. And he caused friendly Jews living nearby to hear of their wicked schemes. The expression ten times should not be taken literally, but used to indicate intensity and the level of fear that was present. They said, at that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. They were concerned for their welfare. They were concerned for their safety. So they went time and time again to these builders within the walls of Jerusalem and said, look, you must stop. You must come to us. There was evidently a sense of alarm and panic as they rushed up to the builders to let them know what was afoot. So these were troublesome times. These were times when the whole work of God in the rebuilding of the walls walls could have been stopped. There was evidently fear and alarm and humanly speaking we could look at it and say that the work that was being done was on a knife edge. Was it going to continue or was it not? The third thing that we see in this passage is the thwarting of their evil plans. On hearing the news, Nehemiah did not panic, but put a plan in action to deal most effectively with the situation that God that had presented itself. When God chose Nehemiah, he chose a man of steel. He chose a man who was resolute. He chose a man who was wise and competent. Let's see what he did. First of all, he considered very carefully where the weakest places in the walls were, places where the enemy was was most likely to attack. And this is a lesson for us, as I've already mentioned, that the devil knows our weakness point and we need to be aware of them as well so that we can strengthen them. He also made sure that the people were sufficiently well armed and able to face the enemy. So in the spiritual battle, God's people are constantly, and note this, in Ephesians chapter 6, 
it says, take up the whole armor of God. Not bits of it, all of it. Take the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil days. So when you go home, read Ephesians 6 again from verse 10. And look at the armor that God has provided. Are you daily taking up the armor? We read of these men that were building the wall. It said that when they were building, they had their sword strapped to their side. Day and night, they were armed and ready for the attack. But there's something else here. He stationed the people together in families. They would fight more vigorously if their own family was under threat. And in our fight against spiritual wickedness, it is often the family that comes under attack. And it is the responsibility of parents in the spiritual fight to protect and defend their children. Sometimes we have to protect our children from unwise associations. And they won't always thank us for it. They will consider that we're being harsh. They will consider that we're taking away their fun. And yet we have a duty to protect our children. How often do children come home and say, my friends from school are going to do this, this, or this? And you weigh it up and you say, it's not suitable for my children. And so you say no. And you're the worst person in the world. And yet, we have a responsibility to protect our families. We protect them by teaching, by prayer, and by example. He reminded them that they were not fighting for themselves, but they were, this was the Lord's battle and would be fought in the Lord's name, in the strength of the Lord, and for the glory of the Lord. This is what Nehemiah reminded the people. He said, listen, this is not for you. This is for God. This is that God's name may be honored and glorified. And in our spiritual warfare, as individuals, as a congregation, as a church, we are doing it for God's glory so that God may be honored and glorified. Nehemiah encouraged the people to be ready for the attack that their enemies were planning and to put their trust in the Lord. And the interesting thing, that perhaps they didn't see at the time, was when Nehemiah was urging them to be armed to be ready, to not take off their clothes at night, but to be ready always for any attack. Whilst they were doing that, the Lord was secretly frustrating the evil plans of the enemy. 
The attackers had planned a secret attack to catch the defenders unaware. But the Lord had revealed to Nehemiah Sorry, the Lord had ensured that the plan was revealed to Nehemiah and the defenders of Jerusalem. You see, they thought they were doing everything secretly. They thought, well, it will creep up on Nehemiah and the defenders and they will know nothing about it until suddenly we appear. And yet the Lord so brought it to pass that Jews living near these people heard of the plans They knew what was going to be done. And so they came and told Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah was party to what they were going to do. So whilst they were working, God was secretly working to frustrate the plans of the enemy. And we may be assured that our God fights for us, even as we seek to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And even though the attack did not materialize, Nehemiah and his followers had secured a very great victory. Four things, and I mention them no more. The work continued, verse 15. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your husbands. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So the whole purpose of the proposed attack was to prevent progress in the work. And the very fact that the work was carried on meant the plan had failed. The work continued, and the people were prepared. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held the spear, shields, bows, coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. Some of the people carried out the building work. Some were prepared to defend should the attack come. So it is the work of the kingdom the sword of the spirit to repel the attacks of the evil one as the Lord Jesus Christ did in his temptations in Matthew 4 and the trowel to continue strengthening and building up the kingdom C.H. Spurgeon had a magazine and it was called The Sword and the Trowel The Sword and the Trowel So with the sword, you attack, you repel the the enemy, and with the trowel, you build up the kingdom. And the people were watchful and united, verses 19 to 23. Being aware that an attack could come at any time, the people took the precautions of making arrangements to warn one another and be watchful both day and night. Now, the wall was quite long, about two miles. So that the people were, were apart from one another. So how were they to be warned? So we read uh, in this section that Nehemiah appointed a trumpeter. 
a trumpet to warn them that when they heard the trumpet, then they would, uh, they would go to that spot for defense. So the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be watchful for himself and for his brethren. And finally, they realized that they were doing the work of the Lord and they had the confidence, as you see in verse 20, that the Lord was fighting for them. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. And it is sometimes easy to forget that in the struggle against the enemy of the soul, of, of our souls, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You remember how Elisha was there and surrounded by his enemies and he told his servant, look up. And he looked up and he saw this host of angels. And he said, you know, there's more with us than there is with them. And although the devil is much stronger than we are, although he has a host of enemies fighting on his side, there are more with us than there are with them. We are surrounded by a multitude of angels and God himself is more powerful than the devil and all his angels. And our God will fight for us. No matter what dangers we are exposed to, we can have the same confidence that Nehemiah had. Our God will fight for us. Amen.